News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR. Weekday mornings at 7 on News Talk. We've been talking all of this week about cocaine and whether or not Ireland is in the grip of an epidemic of the white powder. Well, this morning we're going to meet uh, two men who are in studio with me now, uh, Sean Bryan and Connor Harris, uh, both former cocaine users uh, who became addicted to the stuff. Good morning and welcome to you both. Connor, we'll start with you. Uh, You can tell us your story and how you discovered cocaine and what it did for you, first of all, and then to you. Yeah, so uh, look, I, I first picked up at the age of 17 and unfortunately in today's society it's considered as a late starter. You know, I, I do a bit of voluntary work in, in treatment centres and I see the lads coming in as young as 13 and 14 and, you know, have started using them when they were 12. So, yeah, for me, 17 was young, but I picked up at 17 uh, at a graduation. You know, a friend of mine offered it to me and I said no at first because uh, I was still playing with Kildare at the time and you know, I'd one dream, which was to play in Crow Park, you know, and I ended up picking up the second time he asked me, and, uh, you know, I always describe it. For me, cocaine, how it felt for me when I first took it was like falling in love with a woman. You know, that's how it felt for me. It was like, I dealt with mental health and stuff like that, Pat, when I was younger, and I would have ran from reality a lot, so this was kind of like the little bit of soothing I needed, you know, yeah. that little comfort blanket. But you, you weren't a fellow without confidence, obviously, if you were playing... Uh, in Kildare for the county at, at uh, what was it, under... Yeah, started started at developing squads from 12 and all the way up until under 17. So, yeah, look, I didn't lack confidence, you know, but I did struggle on the inside, you know. I would have been a, would have been a man that everyone would have thought was a happy a happy bunny, but inside, you know, I was dying. I was, I was like a little scared little boy, you know, full of fear growing up. And I took it and it was like that comfort blanket I needed, you know. I had a lot of questions in my life, you know. I went through... A bit of stuff when I was younger, you know, struggling. They always asked why me, and that them yeah. questions kind of turned off when I took cocaine. So it was like, this was my new solution because my solution had always been football because that was my answer to everything. That's why I tried so hard at it because it made me feel better. And then I found cocaine. It was like Jesus, you know, look at this. And uh, I said to myself, I'd only take it on a Friday night, and that was going to be it because I still. Now, were you in leaving cert at this stage? I was only in fifth year, fifth just year. going into sixth year. And uh, I said, that's it, just a Friday night. And, you know, for me, I've always been an addictive person. I am an addict through and through. You know, I'm a recovering drug addict and alcoholic, but I'm an addict and all across the board. So the way I treat things, I do them I do them to the extreme. And I kind of knew it wasn't going to be a good idea, but I rolled with it anyway. So it was a Friday night. Then it was a Friday, Saturday night. And this was going into school now, into sixth year and, you know, leaving sort around the corner and, just to keep it kind of short, it was uh, by the end of by the end of the school year, it was my leaving cert, and I was using through my leaving cert. You know, I remember sitting my maths exam. You know, I was only wearing a shirt, two sweat patches after using a lot of cocaine before going in. And as soon as the half an hour finished for when you can sign the sheet and leave, that's what I did. You, you know? were gone. I was gone straight down to the to the super value where we all hung out, and I remember just lying there looking up at the sky, thinking, you know, what am I doing? You know, why am I doing this? But so even at that point, you were questioning what is happening to you with this yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. By the time. way, how did you fund it or was it dirt cheap? So at the time, I was in school. I was in sixth, sixth year and it wouldn't have been as big of a thing, cocaine. And obviously being in school, like it's not an easy thing to afford. So I, I, I won't lie, I get into selling a little bit of drugs and, you know, took advantage of the market, what was there. And, you know, I was a drug dealer to other people, but very quickly I became a drug dealer to myself, you know, and school finished and we went on a holiday and, you know, one thing led to another and I ended up crossing the line where there was no going back. 
you know, I, I started using now every day of the week after I came home from a six-year holiday and, you know, I was offered an apprenticeship. I never went into it. I went into a into a cabinet apprenticeship that I only lasted a couple of weeks in and, you know, now I started to use, you know, nearly every day of the week and I was using going to work and I was still trying to hold my own and people didn't really know. Now, what happened to you when you first discovered it? You felt it was where you wanted to be. Um, clearly, when you're using it every day, just to be kind of halfway normal, yes. you, you needed it. Exactly. So this was now my crutch. So this is what I needed now to feel better because I had found that high that I was looking for at the start. So they call it chasing the dragon and that's what I did. I ran after it. And uh, yeah, so this was at the age of 18 now and I was I was nearly using every day of the week and I was still in school and, and family didn't really know about it, you know. They didn't really have any idea until that year in... Uh, that year in October, I ended up having my first scare, basically from drugs. I was, I was rushed into hospital after having an having an overdose, and you know this was only at the age of eighteen, and that was when my family found out that I'd been taking drugs and selling drugs, and I had to I had to admit to it because. Um, how much criminality was involved? I mean, you were obviously sourcing the stuff if you were going to sell it on, yeah. so you're dealing with people who were seriously criminal. Yeah, of course, I was dealing with people. I was dealing with people who were obviously selling a lot more drugs than I was and at the time I was only 17, 18 and I was selling a couple of thousand euro worth of drugs we're talking, you know, five figures so it wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't normal stuff I was dealing with you know, and I say that openly and honestly you know, because obviously I'm proud of my story and that's what I got involved with and uh, after that overdose and I was in hospital I woke up and my mum and my sister were at the end of the bed and I, I promised them I would never use again and I believed I'd never use again but if you're an addict to my choice, uh, addict to my type, you don't get that choice. You know, I didn't have that choice. And I got out of hospital that day and a week later was Halloween. It was back out using. And uh, that's when things just got worse for me, Pat. You know, uh, now going to work became an issue. I couldn't go to work anymore. I couldn't hold down a job. And what was the party and then going out with the lads and all at the start, that all this good stuff that you think and you see on social media and people partying and all and taking drugs, it was like, I was sitting in my bedroom on my own, going toilet in a bottle and pouring it out the window, using hundreds and thousands of euros worth of drugs every day and still not getting the same high I was getting, you know, and there was only so much I could keep doing, you know, I ended up owing 20,000 euro uh, when I first got out of hospital that time, and bank loans, credit union loans, family loans, people who were really good to me and, and trusted me that I wouldn't use again. But I was a manipulative drug addict and I would have done anything for my fix. Mm. And I did that. And did your family actually interface at all with the criminal people who to whom you owed money? No, so they, I, I got the money and I met face to face with these people. And that was one thing about me. And that's why I fortunately was enough to never get harmed physically. Because even though I owed the money, I always went face to face with the people I owed it to and said, look, this is the situation. And you look, I was lucky enough that I was never harmed. And that's not the story of other people because I've seen I've seen it in other cases where mm. people and people's houses and stuff have been seriously harmed by this type of stuff. But uh, yeah, that was that was how it went. I owed twenty thousand euro. I managed to clear that mm. debt, and you know, two thousand and nineteen, the first couple of months were just a disaster. You know, using every day and in and out of jobs, couldn't hold down a job mm. until uh, enough became enough. You know, I couldn't juggle this life anymore. You know, you're trying to juggle family, you're trying to juggle drugs, you're trying to get your fix and. You know, being an addict is a hard job, you know. Yeah. People associate this kind of behaviour with heroin. The, yeah. You know, they, they think cocaine, the party drug, are fairly harmless, a bit like having a, a few pints. What do you say to people who think like that? Yeah, if, if you think about it, you know, think again. You know, where my story finished was on 
Mother's Day 2019, I sat by the edge of the River Liffey and tried to drown myself until fortunately enough someone came along and pulled me by the side of the water and saved my life. You know, that's where my drug addiction ended up and that's where it finished. You know, and I was lucky enough now and I got brought into Nice Hospital and, you know, got some help. A, a very a very lovely woman came in and had a chat with me and she asked me would I want to get help and I said I'll do anything, I couldn't do it anymore. And I got into a treatment centre on the 17th of July 2019 and I haven't had to use a drink or a drug since. So if you think about what I said at the start, it was just this Friday night with the lads. It's yeah. going to be alright. And then at the age of 19, not playing football anymore, not going to the gym, no job, just the clothes on my back, trying to drown myself. That's where my story ends. You talk to young people now, I mean, people, I presume, still in school like yourself when you started. What's their reaction when they hear your story? Yeah, so I do a lot of talks in GAA clubs. So I actually partner with Down Gardy Shea Connor and we do a thing called the HEAD Project. And I won't get much into it, but uh, we go around to GAA clubs and we carry the message because GAA is the main focus for me at the moment because I work full time, so schools are kind of hard at the moment. But, you know, when they hear this, you know, there's been many text messages to me on social media saying you know thank you for your story I didn't think that you know it was like that and you know you've made me made the decision now that I don't want to take drugs and I want to keep going with my career and a lot of these would be aspiring to be young to Kenny Hurley sure. you know and that's the that's the thing we're trying to get across and it's not about saving everyone Pat you know because that's not possible but what it is doing is carrying the message one person at yeah. a time and if we could get one person per talk it's a big thing and it's no respecter of class or circumstance Absolutely not. Like it's, you know, from from doctors to lawyers to middle class to lower class, you name it. There's one in, it's the, the newest statistic is there's one in every 10 people using. So between guards, lawyers, doctors, you name it, there's everyone's using, you know, everyone. There's people from all walks of life doing it, you know, why they do it. I don't know. You know, it is a stimulant that does make you feel better. It does do things for you that sometimes, you know, people think life can't do for you. But I found the solution now and I know that there's nothing that drugs can do to make my life better because I found it in life itself. Connor, it's a, a, a fascinating and also frightening story. Some of the texts coming in, I know publicans who've removed mirrors and toilet seats from their facilities to try to stop the use of cocaine on their premises. Uh, another one says, I heard Connor talking during Mensana Mental Health Week in Carlo, riveting every secondary school pupil would be really lucky to hear him because his experience is so real. Uh, Connor, thank you very much for sharing your story. Sean, listening to that, yours is a kind of a different story. That's correct, Pat. Um, so I'm a little bit older than uh, Connor, and I'm 37. So I would have been introduced in and around this, well, not quite as young, but in well, around 16 uh, at a house party. Uh, and it was a different generation then. It was quite scarce. There was a, it's, it wasn't readily available, I think, back in my day. So now to hear Connor's story, it's crazy and it's very admirable to to hear your story. But yeah, my introduction was uh, a friend at a house party and it was one or two lions, very curious maybe to try it. And as Connor said, it was kind of like a, a cheap stimulant. I'm sure that's how I would introduce it. You feel good for a short period of time. And then um, my story was slightly different. I ended up not doing it for for many years. And then I got a little bit older into my 20s. And all of a sudden it was quite rampant. It was readily available. Um, everywhere I went to go, people seemed to have it and talk about it and offer it to you. So it was a lot, a lot, a lot different of a story than Connor's.
Yeah. Um, how frequently did you initially start taking it? Was it when you were literally out no. either working or partying? So, yeah, it would have totally been like a, a weekend thing. And you were DJing as well. Yeah, I DJed uh, all over kind of clubs and places in the city and festivals. And it just kind of went hand in hand with drink. It was how I would describe it is it wasn't even it was like being offered a cigarette. People would say, do you want a bump? which was kind of the term for, do you want some cocaine? And it was, yeah, it was just kind of, I, without even realising, it was so normalised that I didn't really feel like I had a problem with it. I didn't need it daily. It just went, it was it was pretty much every weekend and then it became every Friday and Saturday night. And then what would happen is you would be like kind of really, really in a bad way till like Thursday. Then you'd feel kind of normal, Friday night, few points. And it just, the cycle was quite vicious. And I've used it pretty frequently from about 30 to 35 to when I had enough and I just couldn't take it anymore, you know. And and like yourself, I hid it from the fa- my family. Nobody would really seem to know because of a really good job. I was DJing, so the way I was looking at it was I was out partying for free. Um, but the money I was actually spending on cocaine was, you know, it was actually costing me money to go out to DJ. So I was functioning yeah. to just cover my habit, I suppose, on the weekend. Mm. And how down did you get then? When when you became so habituated into taking it, it became, if you like, a bit like Connor, the norm for you. So when you weren't doing cocaine, what state were you in? So it, so I'm very fortunate and I'm doing a lot of work on myself that I, I really think I don't have any mental health problems that I know of. And I, I say that in all honesty because I understand people really struggle with it. So I think I have a really good baseline of happiness. I, I don't really get down in my day-to-day life. I go to the gym every weekend. And I was going to the gym when I was using, but you would feel quite quite high f- for about the first hour or two. And after that, you're kind of chasing the dragon or just trying to get more or trying to use more to feel the initial bump or buzziness. And it, it got, kind of got worse the more I did it, which is the insanity thing about it for mm. me. I was like, why am I doing this every weekend when I know the outcome? Mm. And then you... I wouldn't be on social media. I'd miss family events. So everybody started to see my habits were changing that he's not around on a Sunday or a Monday. And then I couldn't commit to things. You couldn't rely on me. So it just enough became enough. And I, I seek professional help with a, a therapist or a counsellor, or whatever you want to call. When you talk about uh, using, and the same with Connor, I mean, there is no difficulty, it appears, getting cocaine anywhere in the country. No, I th- you can get cocaine quicker than you can get an Uber Eats. And it's... The thing that scares me is I don't know what's in it. I'm sure if you tested it, but it's so readily available. And like Connor's story, the younger guys seem to be given it to sell, to make money. But then they obviously dilute it or mix it to just cover their own habits or to make more money. So it's very greedy. And the potency, I'm sure, is very low. And it's um, to try and s- to sp- spread a message to people. Like they, you literally don't know what you're taking. So, you know, some of the times I'm sure I took it and it probably wasn't even cocaine. Now, Connor I- I- explained that there was a moment he's on the banks of the Liffey, he's naked, he's about to take his yeah. own life. It's a desperate situation. Did you ever get desperate or what was your your point of return to, to normality, if you like, to leave addiction behind? Um, pretty much, I think, I just ha- enough was enough. I got the same feeling every weekend. And then you'd be like, what was I doing? You'd be in a party before five, six in the morning. There'd be no drink or drugs left. And you're kind of in that weird state of craziness. People would be waiting for an off license to open or to get more drugs. And then you couldn't. And then that fe- that's kind of a the maddest feeling you can have where you, I felt, oh my God, I feel like I'm as bad as a person on the, the streets or on the River Liffey trying to get crack or something. So I felt 
I, I can be better than this. So then I got professional help. I just had enough common sense to say, uh, I need to speak to someone professionally. And I tried to speak to a couple of therapists, didn't find the right person until I met the gentleman that I've been working with for two years now. A, a lot of people listening in who uh, regularly use cocaine will be saying, that's not me. Uh, I just have a couple of pints and uh, the odd line on a Friday or a Saturday mm. night. What, what do you say to those people? I know so many people like that and some of the best people and I see them out and they know now not to offer it to me. I'm fortunate that I can still have a couple of pints. I feel like a lot of people in recovery, they, they can't drink because it triggers them to take drugs. It goes hand in hand like when someone has a drink, they want a cigarette. So with cocaine, I think and people doing it, I don't know. I think a lot of people are living a lie. They take it. They say it's a bank holiday thing. It's a treat. It's looked at nearly like a cocktail now. Like at the end of the night, you'd have a, an espresso martini. People would think, oh, I'll have a bump or we'll share a bag. But if, if, it's, if it's affecting your life in any way, um, I think you need to maybe speak to somebody professionally. I mean, w- one of the issues they're talking about, you know, perhaps decriminalising uh, the cocaine, people having an amount of cocaine in their possession for their own personal use. But the, the problem I have with that all the time is that, you know, it is supplied by criminals, that there is a, a pipeline going all the way to Colombia or wherever else the yeah. stuff comes from. And yet many people who use cocaine don't make that connection. Like if I walk the Temple Bar any night of the week, I live in the city centre. There's usually a group of 10 or 15 young guys that fit the stereotype of wearing the North Face Canada Goose clothes. And I would frequently, nearly every other night, get a nod if I want cocaine. I walk through every night. There is the odd guard here and there. But these guys are selling it to the tourists. They're causing fights because they're probably selling them fake drugs. The punters are taking it and realising, they're going into the pub, doing some cocaine, realising that's not the stuff, coming out, fighting. Like, it's readily available on the actual streets if you walk five minutes around Temple Bar. I don't know what, I think decriminalising it definitely won't help our situation. I think they need to be maybe better help readily available or harder punishments for people using or selling. Yeah. Um, so one of my listeners wants to know to me to ask both of you what you think about the changes that, you know, the task force on drugs and then the Citizens' Assembly and all of that, what might come in, you know, the decriminalisation of possession and all of that. Uh, For me, I think a big point we're missing, Pat, is there's no education around this stuff, right? So in primary school, before you go to secondary school, you get sex education, yeah? So, and in school, you go and you get education around history, geography, English and all this stuff, and you learn about it so you get better at it. There is no, not one, educational programme for drug and alcohol awareness in primary school or secondary school. So I think this whole thing of decriminalisation and all the stuff, it's taken away from the fact that kids are educated from the time they're in nappies. They're educated how to walk, they're educated how to talk, they're educated to ride a bike with stabilisers and without stabilisers. So why aren't they educated around this stuff that is running right through our country? Like We are the number one cocaine-using country in all of Europe and the fourth highest in the world. So that's, I think, that's the, terrifying. Key, that's the key point where I think we're missing here completely. That's a really good point, yeah. It should be spoke about. I, I wouldn't like people glamorise it on social media and when they go hand in hand and these under, nothing against the festivals, but even at the under 18 discos and I won't mention any festivals, but the ones that a lot of younger kids are going to, it's, it is kind of glamorised, but if if they had maybe people at these big festivals and 
areas that you go and speak to. I know there's help tents in a lot of the festivals from my scene, but that's only if you have a panic attack or if you feel like you've taken too much drugs. I think if there was more pop-up places to give drug awareness talks, so what Connor's doing is brilliant. It should be maybe spread a bit broader. Yeah, uh, a number of people asking, how do they get in touch with you, Connor, if you're speaking to uh, clubs? Uh, I'm a GA coach, says one. I would like him to give a talk in our club. Yeah, they can get me on my email. What can I say? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Connor nine nine two zero at iCloud.com or you can find me on Instagram as well. Can I just say, Pat, just before I don't really want to go off this topic, but I just completely get my point across. But you know, you talk about festivals and doing that festivals, but every kid in the country goes through school. Every single kid in the country. So it needs to be nailed. First to third year, we need a drug awareness workshop and it has to be mandatory for all kids to go. It's not about saving every kid who goes to school, Pat. If we can yeah. get one person per class, you know, that's a massive. And that's, for me, in my opinion, was what we're lacking is education in, in junior cycling schools is a, a, a mandatory workshop for these people to get. If they're going to have to get a mandatory sex education, if they're going to have to get mandatory education around all the subjects they do so they can go on in their further life, they need important stuff like this because that's where health comes in and all okay. that type of stuff. As you say, that's the place where... You have every kid at your disposal. And at that age as well, it's very important because when I first drank, it was around 13 or 14. And when you go to these school discos, it's where you kind of experiment. Great age to maybe start doing some education on it. I'll read just some of the texts coming in. My wife is American. Last month, two of her friends were found dead in a nightclub in LA. They had bought fentanyl-laced cocaine in the club and overdosed. It's only a matter of time before Irish cocaine is going to be mixed with fentanyl. Uh, Vital interviews with these two men on cocaine. So many lives ruined and some parents have had to sell their house to pay drug debts. Professionals taking coke too and keeping criminal gangs going. Raising awareness is crucial, but also... Uh, the hard work of the Gardaí and uh, c- c- Cab. A good friend of mine I socialised with regularly has begun taking cocaine every weekend. He'll do it Friday night and not go to sleep until 7am Saturday morning, sleep all day Saturday, spend Sunday recovering, completely wasting his weekend, spending hundreds every month on coke. I see him less often now, sadly. Look, uh, Conor Sean, thank you for both very much not for joining us. Um, you are really the... I suppose that the, you exemplify what's happening to the country and happily both of you have got to the other side. But thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.